All right, you guys, we're in Exodus chapter 12. You have your Bibles. Exodus 12. All right, Exodus 12. And we're looking at verses 1 to 28 tonight. Exodus 12, 1 to 28. And... Um, so don't get mad at me or anything, but my, uh, we're not going to get into the actual 10th plague. Sorry. There's like an interim time right now. I know. I know you're disappointed. You want to get into the 10th plague, but no, it's dark, right? But we're going to get into the 10th plague next week um, in Exodus 12, 29 and on. Uh, but tonight we're going to look at the Passover and we'll study through 28 verses of chapter 12. Um, not one of the ordinances, you know, uh, of the Jewish church was more like eminent or prominent than the Passover, right? And no ordinance is more frequently mentioned, actually, in the New Testament. Passover essentially consisted of three, uh, three different parts. Number one, the killing and eating of the lamb. And we're going to go over this tonight. But the killing and the eating of the lamb, right? The sprinkling, number two, the sprinkling of blood on the doorposts. And number three, the feast of unleavened bread and seven days following. So those three things, the three parts of Passover. And, and this institution is communicated to the people, and they are instructed in the observance of the first Passover, uh, as we'll see, and of the after Passovers, we'll see. So the symbolism and the parallels of the Passover are, are pretty cool. <laughs> like the New Testament mentions the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt more than anything else. Exodus means to exit. Right? God is, you know, God rescued and delivered, which doesn't that, it just blows me away. Like, I'm going to kind of go on just a rabbit trail, just really quickly. But, I mean, that just, every time I think about that, I'm like, wow. It's just kind of in awe. I'm amazed that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Because you know yourself. Not fully. Sometimes you're like, why did I do that? But you know what I mean. You know you're just like, really, Lord, me? He's like, yes. Romans 5.8. While I was a sinner, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to go too far off on a rabbit trail, but I just, you're, we're alive and we're saved. God, you know, accepted us. It, it amazes me that God chose me, that he pulled me out of this dark, depressing world, and he keeps me through the wonderful days and through the wilderness. Like, we've been rescued. And so, that's my tangent, done. Passover. So Passover marked a new beginning for the Jews, and it made them cohesive, like, as a nation. Um, we've tasted, you know, we've, we've, kind of tasted this kind of new beginning, if you will, when we were saved. A new day has dawned, you know. Um, in the New Testament, you know, when you read the words redeem or redemption, they speak of freedom from slavery. And at this time, there were estimated, there were estimated to be about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Um, and so Jewish believers, they would immediately think of Passover and Israel's deliverance from Egypt through the blood of the Lamb when they thought about Passover. The Jewish nation in the Old Testament had two calendars. Two calendars. Number one, a civil calendar that began in our September-October and a religious calendar that began in our uh, March-April. Uh, New Year's Day in the civil year, Rosh Hashanah, fell in the seventh month of the religious calendar and ushered in the special events in the month of Tishri. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Passover marked the beginning of the religious year, and on Passover, the focus is on the lamb. On the lamb. Um, and so, 
You think about that question from the Bible, you know, where, where is the lamb? In Genesis 22-7, Isaac's question, where is the lamb? It introduced one of the major themes in the Old Testament as God's people waited for the Messiah. And that question, it was answered. That question was answered when John the Baptist said, remember in uh, John 1:29, Behold the what of God? The lamb, yeah, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ and is affirmed in the New Testament by the great evangelist Philip. You know Philip, as well as Paul and Peter and John. They all affirm this. So, so let's pray, and then we're going to look at Passover uh, tonight. And well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word. We just thank you, Lord, that it's living and active, that it speaks to us, Lord. And uh, we just pray that our hearts will be open, our minds will be open to take in your word, and it would just be integrated into our hearts, Lord, and uh, lived out throughout the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 1, says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, he shall, take, uh, shall make count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from sheep or from goats. Verse 6. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So the lamb was chosen and examined on the 10th day of the month and carefully watched for four days to make sure it met the qualifications. Right? Jesus, as the perfect lamb of God, he met all these qualifications. God said in Matthew 3.17, he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so remember, during the time preceding the Passover, Jesus' enemies were questioning him, waiting for him to mess up, right? So they could condemn him and point the finger and say, See, Jesus passed every test. We know that. Right? He passed every single test. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus knew no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says, In him there was no sin. 1 John 3.5 says he's the perfect lamb of God. So on the 14th day of the month, the lamb was slain. And the lamb's blood was applied to the lintel and side posts of the door of the houses where the Jewish families lived. I mean, think about this. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the life of the lamb that saved the people from judgment. You know, it was the death of the lamb that saved. And you can find in Hebrews 9.22 and Leviticus 17.11, says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for our redemption. Jesus was our substitute. He died our death for us. He suffered the judgment for our sin. And this is why we praise him. Because we should have been on that cross, all of us. Like, we should have paid the penalty. Substitutionary, uh, substitutionary atonement. Like, Exodus twelve thirteen, God promised if the blood is on the doorpost, I will pass over that house and you'll be saved and you'll be safe. 
It's not enough to know that Christ was sacrificed for the sins of the world. That's not enough. We must appropriate that sacrifice for ourselves and be able to say what Paul said. He said, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mary, I love what Mary said, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. And so our appropriation of the atonement must be personal. Like John said, he said, my Lord and my God, it's personal. In Exodus 12, 22, the Jews dipped flimsy hyssop plants into basins of blood and applied it to the doorposts, right? Hyssop was later used to sprinkle the blood that, that uh, ratified the covenant in chapter 24. Um, hyssop, you know, it cleansed and it healed the lepers. We find out in Leviticus. Our faith may be as weak as hyssop, but it's not faith in our faith that saves but faith in the blood of our Savior. And so by the blood, we are forgiven and saved and set free. We are washed as white as snow. Judgment passed over us. And so that's just, the picture there is just amazing. So what happens? Well, in verse 8, it says, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled it at all with water, but roasted in the fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. Nice. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So these are basically just like instructions for Passover. So the lamb was roasted and eaten in haste. Each family member, they were ready to move. They had their shoes on. They were ready to go. Um, when the signal was given, they are like, okay, let's go. Let's get out of here. So the meal consisted of roasted lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. And for the lamb to be kept whole, it was roasted in the fire and not boiled in water. So the Jews didn't really have vessels big enough for boiling a whole lamb. You know, um, but this kind of cooking was forbidden, too. The, the bones would have to be broken, and this was forbidden by the Jews, one of their laws. So it's critical to see, though, the wholeness of the lamb. The wholeness of the lamb. See, we trust Christ, so we are saved from our sins by his sacrifice. But we must also feed off of and devote ourselves to Christ for daily strength, for our spiritual journey to hold us together, be, to keep us whole. Or, or if not, we're going to be scattered. We're going to fall apart. But as we worship and meditate on the word, pray and believe, we appropriate the spiritual nourishment of Jesus and we grow in grace and knowledge of him. Along with the lamb, the Israelites ate bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And so tasting the bitter herbs this is interesting. Tasting the bitter herbs would actually remind the Jews of the years of bitter bondage, you know, and slavery in the land of Egypt. You know, it's kind of like eating a, a certain food that you don't like, but it's kind of nostalgic because it reminds you of grandma's house or something like in the past. You're like, oh, this is, but I, I remember, you know. And so they ate these bitter herbs, but they're like, ooh, it reminded them of the bitterness of slavery and bondage when Egypt, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, held them captive. But here's the thing, when, when things in the wilderness became tough, looking ahead, the Hebrews recalled the good old days. And this, this we can kind of be like, I don't understand, what's wrong with them? But we can tend to do the same thing as well. You know, slavery, you know, 
they actually wanted to go back to Egypt at, in the desert when they were free. Because they're like, oh, we had it so good back then. They didn't have it good back then, we know. But they romanticized the past. They remembered all the stuff that maybe was good, but they kind of got uh, just inflated and it, it just kind of like a mirage, you know? Slavery to the world uh, is not good. Don't forget what God has saved and rescued you from. Sometimes people go back to the world because they think, man, that was so fun. I'm hearing these people at my work or I'm hearing these people here. Like recall the good old days and they're like, oh, it was so fun. And you're like, yeah, it was fun, huh? No, it wasn't. It was horrible. You were, you were, you were a mess. And it was like you felt bad and you, and you forgot stuff. And you're like, what did I? It was not good. So the Israelites, eating that, that bitterness, it reminded them, oh, the bitterness of slavery, we're free from that. But it got to the point where they forgot how good their freedom was. You ever been like that? It's kind of like you've been a Christian for a while. The fire kind of wears off and you're just kind of going through the motions and you forget how good it is just to, what God saved you from. But then you start to make a list. You, you think about your testimony. You're like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. If we forget those things that he saved us from, we're going to go back to those things that we were saved from, you know? And so remember your testimony. Remember what God has saved you from and got you out of. But they forgot, the Israelites forgot the bitterness of slavery. Their bread was unleavened without yeast for two reasons. It was unleavened, number one, there wasn't time for the bread to rise, Exodus 12, 39. And number two, leaven was a symbol of impurity to the Jews. So for a week after Passover, they were required to eat unleavened bread and remove every trace of leaven from their dwellings, from their houses. Yeast is an image of sin. Right? Sin is hidden. Sin works silently and secretly often. Sin spreads. Sin pollutes. Sin causes, causes one to get puffed up. The dough will rise, you know. Jesus and Paul compared false teaching to, to yeast. Yeast is also compared to hypocrisy and sinful living. Paul admonishes local churches to purge out the sin from their midst, you know, and present themselves as an unleavened, basically, loaf of bread to the Lord. Here we go. Purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. So if any meat was left over from the feast, it had to be burned. Right? See, the lamb was so special, it could not be treated like ordinary food. Similarly, the manna, you know, in the desert, it was special and couldn't be hoarded. The children of Israel couldn't hoard the manna from day to day. They had to just eat that was enough for them and be satisfied and content with that and move on. Unlike some of us, when we eat a really good meal, we're like, I should have stopped two plates ago, right? Uh, I'm guilty, okay? But so, um, so the manna, it was, wasn't to be hoarded day by day while the Hebrews were in the desert, except the day before the Sabbath. You find that in Exodus 16. So what happens? Okay, in verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we see the protection of the blood. This is intense. Like, again, Israel had to apply the blood to be saved. God required the blood of the lamb. So if an Israelite did not believe in the power of the blood and just ate the lamb, they'd be visited by judgment. 
If an Egyptian home did believe in the power of the blood and applied it, they'd be spared. God regarded Israel as a special people. We know that. Firstborn. If Egypt refused to release God's people, his firstborn, then God required the firstborn of Egypt as a penalty of judgment. And this was the tenth plague that we'll look at next time in depth. Okay, so verse 14, continuing on, it says, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. From whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, the only, that only may be prepared by you. Verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on the same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day, on the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. Verse 20. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. And so the institution of Passover and unleavened bread as feasts is what we're talking about. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Passover again began on the 10th, on the 14th they ate Passover, and this was the first day of unleavened bread. Then for the next seven days, they only ate unleavened bread. So for the first Passover, the unleavened bread was a practical necessity. They left Egypt in such a hurry, there was no time for the dough to rise. And after the first Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a testimony throughout generations. God called the Jews to walk unleavened, if you will, after their deliverance from Egypt. They were called to walk and live in purity. Also, there was a hygienic aspect to getting rid of leaven. Right? Since they used a piece of dough from the previous batch to make the bread for that day and did this repeatedly, that harmful bacteria could take hold in the dough so it was good to remove all the leaven and start all over at least once a year. And so Moses leads the people in observance of Passover. In verse 21, And then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come in your house to strike you. So Moses tells the elders to basically do what God said. Do as God said. Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them. So the elders were expected to lead the way. Moses instructed them to observe the Passover, knowing the rest of the nation would follow. It says, take a bunch of hyssop. Okay, so hyssop, again, it was used to apply blood for the cleansing of sin, right? Hyssop was always connected with purification through sacrifice. Hyssop was even connected to Jesus' sacrifice. 
in John 19.29, Jesus was offered sour wine to drink on the cross, remember. The sponge soaked with it was put on a bunch of hyssop. So when the Lord would see blood, he would pass over. So the Lord, in, in a sense, like the Lord looked for blood. And this blood sacrifice was the basis for sparing people from judgment. Rescue from the angel of the Lord didn't happen by a prayer, fasting, or a good work. None of those things are bad, but it didn't happen by that. It was accomplished by a life given on behalf of others. So what happens in verse 24, it says, And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. Let's just stop right there. So Passover was an enduring ordinance, right? Like an ordinance for you and your sons forever. The deliverance for Passover was for children as well and all the following generations. Passover was the greatest work of redemption performed in the Old Testament with the, ex with the exception of, you know, the prophecies of the cross. But Jesus said his work on the cross was not only for, the, uh, for that generation, remember, but should be remembered and applied to all generations in Luke 22. So in Passover, there was a twofold work, a twofold work. Number one, the enemy was defeated. And number two, God's people were set free and given a new identity with new promises and a new walk and a new life together pretty amazing. So the second half of verse 27 says, so the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Here's the people's response. The people bowed their head and they worshiped. 28, and then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. So we see this is a beautiful time right at this moment. Let's capture this and hold on to it because pretty soon it's going to be complaining. But the obedience of the people at this point, right? The people bowed their heads and worshiped. I love that. The immediate reaction from Israel was worship. Like, and it's kind of like, that's, sometimes that's not our immediate reaction. We realize later, I should have praised God for that instead of complaining about the problem, right? Because we'll see Israel's cycle of sin as they're in the desert, and they're like, praise you, God. The next day, they're like, where are you, God? Let's go back to slavery. You know, it's like one day it's this way, the next day it's that way. It's like our apt response to whatever happens in life, whatever is happening in our world, if you will, should be to worship and praise God, even through problems. It's difficult, I know. It's difficult. But we got to keep perspective of God is in control. He's on the throne, and I'm not. Lord, help me. Lord, I love you. Lord, you save me. Lord, give me strength. Give me wisdom. So the immediate reaction from Israel is worship. They honored God, and they said he would do all this for them, like when, when he said they would do all this for him. It says, then the children of Israel went away and did so. These were the most important words in this whole account. They went, they went away and did so. It didn't say they were like, nah, no thanks, God. Like, no, God's deliverance was great, but if the people were delivered, but they didn't actually follow through or obey it, it would end in disaster. So this is the most important part of it. They went and they did so. A couple of things just, just to ponder. Did 
Number one, did any Israelites suffer under judgment of their firstborn because they did not believe and obey? And number two, did any Egyptians get saved and spared from judgment because they did believe and obey? This whole section really is looking at Passover, but it is also talking about obedience to the Lord. Are we going to say, okay, yes, Lord, I'm going to go and do so? Or are we going to be like, you know what, God, I'm going to put that off. Like, I'm not feeling like that's the right. I just don't feel like that's the right time. And he's like, but I told you, I just don't feel it, you know. No, it doesn't matter how you feel. It's like take those steps of faith if God says it's time. It's all about obedience to God. And really that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Obey him. Uh, don't complain. I'm not just talking about you guys. I mean, I never complain. No, I'm talking to all of us. Like we all can get in that mindset. But we just want to obey him and worship him and say, I mean, we could be honest with God. Think about the Psalms, David's, over 70 Psalms, many of them complaining and crying. But it's like sometimes we complain and we cry, but we go, Lord, I don't like this. I actually hate this, what's happening right now. But God, I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to praise you anyway. Worship him. May that be our apt response to everything. I mean, really, good and bad and everything in between. I love the symbolism here about Passover, you know, the blood saved from judgment. And again, I just go back to being in awe about, man, I'm saved, I'm spared, I'm chosen. You're saved, you're spared, you're chosen. You're walking with God. What a great privilege. If nothing else was ever added to your life, oh well, I'm blessed because God has rescued me. We were spared, we were rescued. How amazing is that? It's mind-blowing. 